Hear the word of our Lord from the Gospel of St. Matthew, the seventh chapter, beginning in the first verse. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite! First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. The Gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So, our False Alphas series here at the Very Lutheran Project, um, we're, I'm juggling a little bit. I was saving this one for last because this guy is the final boss of false alphas. He is the number one example. Whenever you say false alpha and Christian church in the same sentence, this name, which some people shudder to say, is the first thing on everybody's minds. And I was going to save this one for last, but, um, well, in all honesty, I just... I uh, didn't have the inspiration for the other guys that are on the list quite enough yet. But I had all the inspiration in the world for this dude out here because, well, everybody has started talking about him again. And uh, far be it from me to stay silent when so many people have not read those first few verses of Matthew 7 and have decided that they are now the lords over the church. And we are talking today about... The infamous Mark Driscoll, former pastor of Mars Hill in Seattle, Washington, which it's not fair to call him just a pastor of a church. He was also the brand and leadership over an entire gigantic mega church network that spanned up to 15,000 people in several states. It was, well, huge. Mark Driscoll used to be an everyday household name for uh, normal evangelical Christians and for the young, restless, reformed movement. And today he's started to become a household name again. Now, uh, my on the Godcast, Miles and I, we did decide to have an episode talking about the rise and fall of Mars Hill uh, podcast, but only in passing. We, we mentioned it, but the real context that we wanted to discuss there was, well, how megachurches formed, what the idea behind them was, and how I believe they are dangerous, setting a precedent for a new kind of rice Christianity. But I didn't really talk about Driscoll himself all that much. Today I want to change that. Because Mark Driscoll is the epitome of a false alpha. He is the final boss. He is the guy that's the easiest to talk about when it comes to this stuff. Um, Nobody ever plays a a big video game and talks about the big video game and everything and, like, centers in on, like, a mini boss, like David J. Stewart. No, they want to talk about the Ganon. They want to talk about the Bowser. They want to talk about the Mark Driscoll figures here for uh, that video game or and in the sense of false alphas that's where we're at we got to talk about mark driscoll but more importantly we have to talk about the people that hate him because lord knows if there is anything <laughs> that can be said about Mark Driscoll is that he is also somebody who has inspired an endless stream of poop from people's fingers and mouths as they talk about him, type about him, do everything they can to try to bring a guy down. Now, can can we really blame them? I'm going to say yes, and we'll get to that. So first off, who is Mark Driscoll? Mark Driscoll was the pastor of Mars Hill when it was originally just a tiny little church in Seattle, Washington, and then it grew and grew and grew. Mark Driscoll was groomed for success by a bunch of baby boomer boomer people that were looking for a pastor that could witness to the Gen X demographic to be an edgy guy. And boy howdy, 
who is Mark an edgy dude. He is, as a reformed guy, part of the young, restless, reformed movement, he wanted to be brutally honest about everything that he thought, and if he couldn't be 100% honest, he had like an anonymous internet account on forums where he would, I think it was William Wallace II or something like that, where he would like say all his heinous stuff. That for today's standards isn't really all that controversial he said mean things about women and mean things about beta males that's about it but mark driscoll the thing is is that he wasn't just a a pastor with a loud mouth there's a million of those he was a pastor that was also a savvy church growth guy he knew how to get people to come to church He knew how to show support to just the right people, letting them sleep at his house if they needed a place to stay, um, taking money out of his own paycheck to pay for groceries, and then he would also advertise a lot. He would try to get notoriety out there, try to get his sermons. I think he was one of the first people out there to really use big PowerPoint projectors uh, for worship songs. And one of the first ones to get his MP3s of his sermons out there so that everybody on the internet could hear it. He was almost like the first e-celebrity pastor. If the first, like, TV celebrity pastor was, I don't know, um, what's that guy that did the Crusades? Billy Graham. Billy Graham was a major celebrity pastor that showed up on TV. Same as uh, Shulman with the uh, Crystal Cathedral stuff on TV. But Driscoll was an internet pastor about the same time that he was a church pastor. And that gave him notoriety as well as fame as people are starting to look to him as a, an approachable Christian resource. And what was Mark Driscoll's general message? Uh, Calvinism is correct. Seattle is unchurched and that's sad, but we need to change that. Um, men need to get real jobs, provide for their families, be hardworking dudes and shut up and stop being pansies. And then women need to be housewives that bear lots of kids. Over the some 15, 17 years of Mars Hill before it completely just collapsed in 20, I want to say 2014 is when that happened. That was his general message. Let's take the Bible, look for what it tells you to do, and preach on that. So with that, though, he had his controversies. Obviously, as a Lutheran, I'm going to have some very serious disagreements with Mark Driscoll and with the whole of the Reformed movement. I'm not a fan of Calvinism. But... At the end of the day, there's there are a million Mark Driscolls out there among pastors. There are, there's a ton of guys out there who present as a, a big man, the the only real man in the room, who can then teach you how to be a real man like him. And then they say, here's what the Bible says about how to be a real man. Now, is that real preaching? Not really. Not in the Lutheran conception of preaching. Remember, Mark Driscoll would run like six services on a Sunday. He, and he would exposit scripture, kind of. He would talk about what the Bible said. He would read from the Bible. He would do a lot of that stuff. But his sermons were more like opinionated Bible studies than they were actual sermons designed and understood to present law and gospel. Again, coming from the Lutheran way of looking at things, Yep, Driscoll was just another Calvinist pastor, but edgier. But that's not why he's a false alpha. I mean, I'm not going to go out of my way to say all Reformed or Presbyterian uh, people out there are actually false alphas. No, what made Mark Driscoll a false alpha is that whole big man in the room, only real man in the room idea. There's an infamous moment in his sermons. There was one moment where he just lost his mind. He said, you know, some of you guys are sleeping with your girlfriends. 
You're living in sin with him. And some of you guys, are you're, you're patting her on the shoulder right now, bringing your arm around her, saying, it's okay, we're just going to ignore this part. We're going to go home. It's going to be normal. And he kept whispering into his microphone. And then immediately out of nowhere, seemingly, he screams, How dare you? How dare you do this? Rah, 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 rah. You're not a man. You're a boy that can shave. You repent of touching a woman. And some of you right now are saying that I wouldn't be saying this to the woman. And you're right, because that's not what I do. And when that happened, I remember like listening to this on my computer going, um, what? <laughs> Mark Driscoll, the manly man, isn't confronting women's sin. That every single one of these people that he was screaming at, jumping up and down like a child, he was only going at it against men. And he was holding that up saying that, well, basically women are these innocent victims of these man children out there who aren't doing their job. They're not doing the Mark Driscoll bit and that's shameful and they need to change, but it's not the women's fault. Well, maybe there's sin there, but it's, it's not like they're just ugly whores or anything like that. No, no, it's 100% the man's fault. That's a problem. Because at that point, you are not modeling the Christian message. And this isn't just one moment. Uh, the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast, we'll talk about that. But that they do chronicle that he was all about just beating guys up constantly and attacking them as being these pathetic, limp-wristed losers who never really did their job as husbands and fathers. And it was always beating them up. And they never got an attaboy. They never, it never said that they were doing what they were supposed to. No, 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 no. It was always, you're bad, you're bad, you're bad. You're pathetic, you're pathetic, you're pathetic. I'm, I'm doing the right thing. You're not. And what does that do? Is that real biblical masculinity? Is that really being an alpha? Does an alpha... I mean, strictly speaking, when we think of alpha males, we're thinking like wolves or whatever. We're thinking about uh, a pack of wolves where one of them leads the others. He's the chieftain of the pack. He's the hunt master out there. In, in nature, when that does happen, I've heard that there's no such thing as an alpha wolf, but it does actually happen to animals where one is in charge. They like actually work. And they actually do stuff. And they lead people to do stuff with them. You are never going to see a wolf pack or whatever where um, the alpha male wolf stands there and like chews out the other wolves and then shows them him hunting and tells them they suck for not doing that. And then just lets all the wolves starve to death. You're never going to see a lion pride where the, the lion king gets up there and looks at all of his other uh, lion buddies and says, boy, you guys are just a bunch of lame wads. Take off your panties. Get some boy knickers on and like be a real lion with me, dude. No, because what, what does the alpha male lion do all day? I mean, well, the women in lion packs are the ones hunting. Uh, male lions like fight each other all the time. They spar, they practice, and without an alpha male, they're doing that. You don't really have a lion pride. You just have a bunch of male lions laying around doing nothing. And if you're going to model biblical masculinity and show that to people, are you really going to be the kind of guy that preaches all law and no gospel specifically to men? specifically attacking the men in your church, saying that they are never good enough, never manly enough, never doing what they're supposed to do. Now, don't get me wrong. It is true. I will agree with Mark Driscoll. Guess what, guys? You need to get yourself a job. You need to provide for your family. St. Paul says that if a man does not provide for the members of his own household, he has denied the faith and he is worse than a non-believer. Period. End of story. And you are supposed to be the leader of your household. Period. End of story. But, 
if you are never, if you're always confronted with your insufficiency, and if you are always confronted with not being good enough, according to these biblical standards, and you're never brought back up with the gospel, you're never refreshed by the sacrament, you're always just getting beaten down and attacked, then, well, you have one of two responses. Either keep trying and keep failing and eventually burn out, or give up and go become one of the enemies of the church. That's where Mark Driscoll ends up being a false alpha. Now, he has his controversies. We're going to bring those up. But at the end of the day, I just want to make that clear that A, Mark Driscoll beat guys up for no reason. At the end of the day, he wanted to modify their behavior, but he put them in such a place where they were just going to burn out or turn. And B, he also didn't really talk about women's sin the same way. Like, if, if we're going to claim that everybody is a sinner, if we are going to say that we are poor, miserable sinners, and we are going to say that because of original sin, we just can't help ourselves, we need a savior, if you do not confront women's sin, you are doing them a disservice. Because if you bring them to a place where they feel secure in their behavior, like they are holy and righteous, well, A, you're preaching goddess theology. And you are no better than, uh, than anybody out there that's part of some, I don't know, new age cult that worships the divine feminine. And B, you are condemning souls. You are condemning souls by making people feel secure in their sin which is not what you're supposed to do. Now again, Driscoll should have been preaching the gospel a whole heck of a lot more. But at the same time, if you're going to preach the law, preach it in its entirety. Period. That's end of story. That's just how it has to be. But with that though, ultimately the problem with Mark Driscoll, in addition to this, is that he said a lot of stuff that is true that you can't honestly deny but he said it in such a way that it ticks people off he wasn't seasoned with salt he wasn't um, wise as a serpent innocent as a dove when it came to these things now i'm no stranger to saying stupid things by all means i have said some really stupid things in the past but here's the problem you can speak the truth in love. That is something I have learned to do in the course of ministry. That is something every pastor needs to learn to do. And speaking the truth in love means being gentle most of the time. If you have to go hardcore on somebody and condemn them, there's a place for that. Uh, I believe Titus chapter 1 verse 9. Let me check. Here it is from a, this is St. Paul writing to Titus here in Titus chapter one, beginning in verse nine. Uh, he, the, the pastor, must be, uh, must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. Well, that's, that's true. Sometimes you do need to go hard. But that is not your, that should not be your default setting in your preaching and teaching. Period. Because the pastor is still a Christian. And what does Philippian chapter, Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 5, say? Let your reasonableness or your gentleness be known to everyone. Meaning, you should not have a reputation as a jerk. You shouldn't have a reputation as somebody with this hot-headed temper that's, that nobody wants to be around because you could just blow up at any time, right? That should not be what you are known for as a pastor. Now, you are called to be gentle. Sometimes you're called to be rough in your public preaching and 
teaching. There are exceptions. I know people are going to go, but you're a Lutheran and Luther was mean. Well, yes, in his correspondence with uh, Roman Catholics, in their authorities, they were doing bad things to people. There was much of an occasion to get rough. And if Mark Driscoll was doing the Luther thing and doing that only for the enemies of the church, as Luther was doing, uh, then we wouldn't have any complaints about Mark Driscoll being a little too rough. But he was beating up on his own congregation constantly. This was his thing. So, honestly, this could have all fit into 20 minutes. Just saying, like, okay, that's Mark Driscoll. But the problem is, um, he's also one of the most hated men in America. Always has been, always will be. He is hated, sometimes for legitimate controversies, and sometimes because, well, the people attacking him haven't read those first few verses of Matthew 7. They are profoundly afflicted with the severest hypocrisy a human being could have. Let's go over some of these controversies. Uh, there is the plagiarism scandal that in his uh, in his book on doctrine he was plagiarizing from another uh, theologian and he had ghostwriters doing stuff for him and writing stuff for him that he didn't write and oftentimes those ghostwriters were found to be doing plagiarism too so you have a guy that's putting his name on books that he didn't write most of the time and uh he also was found to just sometimes not have the inspiration to put things in his own words or at least not cite them properly so that angers people Right? Okay, there's a plagiarism scandal. Several plagiarism scandals surrounding Mark Driscoll. But Mark Driscoll, we must remember, is a member of, was a member, he's, he's no longer a Calvinist, but he was a member of the Young Restless Reformed movement. And throughout the history of the church, there's never been a universal standard for citation. Nobody in the history of the church, none of the church fathers wrote, and yea, verily, when thou dost quote somebody, you must use the proper MLA standard of citation. Nobody says that. And honestly, it's not going to bug me if somebody out there doesn't cite stuff properly. I would like it if they did, because if they're taking credit for somebody else's work, that can be messed up. But at the end of the day, I mean, there's even people writing as like pseudo-Dionysius and pseudo-this, pseudo-that in the history of the church. People slapping an important name on a document when it's probably not that guy. Okay. Is that a crime? Maybe. There are extreme cases where it could be bearing false witness. When you bear false witness against your neighbor, particularly by attributing to yourself something they said and therefore taking away from their reputation. Remember, the, in the large catechism, it does say that part of the uh, Eighth Commandment is upholding your neighbor's good reputation. You can take away from that by plagiarizing them, sure. Other times, though, maybe with like the pseudo this and pseudo that, the pseudopigrapha out there, uh, maybe you're actually helping them a little bit. In all things, we should obviously avoid lying as much as we, as much as humanly possible. But I'm not going to say that this automatically disqualifies Mark Driscoll. You just need to say, hey, dude, be more careful. Please put credit where credit's due. Because like, listen, there's smart dudes that you're talking about and other people want to read them. That's it. Shouldn't be a huge deal. Shouldn't be something that uh, you should be fired over. But people were frothing at the mouth when this came out. Like, we need to squish Mark Driscoll. Why? Oh, but maybe it's because of the uh, New York Times bestseller scam that he was involved with. Where his own church, the Mars Hill Network and the Acts 29 Network, uh, they went out of their way to spend a whole bunch boatload of money on buying Mark's books so that he could get on the New York Times bestseller list. Now, 
when it comes to that, is that a harebrained scheme to get yourself put on a list that makes you look a little bit more important than you actually are? Yeah. Is that dumb? Oh, yeah. Did at any point any of the people involved in this harebrained scheme, uh, did any of them say, wow, look at how all these different people are uh, buying up our books. Aren't we just the best? No. I don't recall anybody, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, you can email me at very underscore Lutheran at tutanota.com. If you saw somebody doing this stuff and they never like lied about it and they never said wow boy look at how popular i am with all these people that totally aren't just my church network buying these books yeah if they're lying about it that's bad but if they're just doing this in order to get the name on the new york times bestseller list which makes bookstores more likely to put that book on the shelf so that more people buy it that's trying to game a, a system that's all that really is, is trying to take advantage of that system. I don't recall people lying about it. If they did, then by all means, that's dirty and underhanded. But Lord knows, this, as far as I can tell, that is more or less standard industry practice for people trying to get on the New York Times bestseller list. I don't get why. If you write a book, it should be selling well because it's a good book and it gets good reviews or something. But ultimately, it's kind of whatever. So he plagiarized or just cited poorly. And so he cooked up a, a really dumb scheme to game the system. That's it? Oh, wait, no, no, no. There was also his comments about women and how they need to be subservient and how um, he, he had these sermons in these lectures where he talked about Christian freedom in the marriage bed in a little bit too much detail for people's comforts. Okay, I remember there was a sermon that he preached where he, t I think he was in Scotland when he said, you know, he was talking about somebody coming into his church and he told the man's wife and the man himself, you know, oral sex is permitted in the marriage bed. The wife was not aware of this, and suddenly their marriage got a lot better, and that guy was willing to come to church after that. Now, hearing these things and hearing people say, oh, he was a potty mouth. Oh, he, was, he crossed the line to talk about this stuff. He talked about how his wife would strip for him and how your wife should be willing to give you something of a show to seduce you, to do all these things and to say that's good for a wife to do for her husband. Um, well, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with saying that you should have a marriage that is has a fruitful bed life. That's not a bad thing. Can you say that this wasn't children-friendly? Sure, but they didn't have kids in the places where these sermons were heard and these lectures were heard. These were messages to adults. And it, apparently only once or twice he actually swore in sermons and then he apologized profusely for using cussing language. So what's the problem? Well, maybe he went into a bit too much detail. I agree with that. Maybe he should have said, you know, your marriage bed is yours. God instituted marriage before he instituted the church. And there should be great freedom between a husband and his wife with how they approach intimacy. Uh, if anybody from a church tells you you can't do something with your wife, there's a 99% chance that they are just being a weirdo control freak. And you should ignore them. Could have said that it that way. He could have put that very, very nicely that would have been great. But, okay. Sometimes he crossed the line and got just a little bit too descriptive. Does that disqualify him from ministry? No, not really. No, but that leads us to the big actual controversy surrounding Mark Driscoll. The one that actually ended up with him getting fired.
well, more like him resigning and then collecting $750,000 of his salary. But, you know, fired. The thing is, is that Mark Driscoll was a ruthless corporate dictator over Mars Hill. Now, yes, there was supposedly an accountability system with the elders, according to something approaching the Presbyterian model for a reformed church. But at the end of the day, Mark Driscoll was so popular in the popular culture and so prevalent everywhere that if he said something, it was going to go. And the business meetings that he referred to where he talked about people um, being run over by the Mars Hill bus and saying there's a lot of bodies behind the Mars Hill bus and by the grace of God, there's going to be more. Saying mean things like that was an allusion to the fact that he uh, and a lot of the people under him were willing to just fire people all willy-nilly. And they were willing to fire them and accuse them of heresy if there was even any slight deviation from how Mark wanted to do it. He ran his church like a cruel dictator. Now, is that bad? Absolutely. But is it also consistent with Reformed history? Yes. Yes, it is. And we can look to no other uh, source for this than John Calvin himself, the ruler of Geneva. Here's a quote from uh, Heckent.org, John Calvin and his rule in Geneva and his many illnesses. Here's a quote from it. Uh, this is John Calvin, the ruler of Geneva and its chief pastor or whatever. Quote, it was an overt totalitarian regime. A kind of religion police was empowered to inspect people's houses to ascertain if they behaved according to Calvin's ordinances. Rosaries and relics were forbidden, and it became illegal to name children after saints. Immoral or Catholic books were proscribed. Art, music with instruments, dancing, and theater were no longer allowed. The colors of clothing, hairstyles, and amounts of food permissible at the table were regulated. Gambling, drunkenness, adultery, promiscuity, immodest dress, profane songs, idolatry, heresy, and speaking, speaking ill of the clergy were punished, often by exile or execution. The press was severely censored. Education, which Calvin regarded as inseparable from religion, was carefully regulated. New schools were established with emphasis on arithmetic, writing, and history in primary school and Latin, Greek, and Hebrew in secondary schools to facilitate study of the Bible. Charity was placed under municipal administration to eliminate begging. Uh, 58 people were executed during the first five years of Calvin's rule and 76 exiled. Most notorious was the case of Michael Servetus, the scientist and theologian with whom Calvin had corresponded earlier but disagreed on religious dogma. You see, Servetus denied the Trinity. Specifically, service, yeah, he denied the existence of the Trinity and maintained there was only one God. On his way to Italy, he made the fatal error of passing through Geneva, was arrested, tried for heresy by the city council, and condemned to death. Calvin agreed with the sentence and wanted him beheaded, but the council decided to have him slowly roasted at the stake in a fire made expressly of green wood so that it would burn more slowly and prolong his agony. Almost none of the people out there who are uh, coming down on Mark Driscoll as this evil tyrant who fired people. Ugh. Oh no, he let people go and he fired them and he overworked his employees. Um, I've never heard any of those guys come down on Calvin. Calvin was the first reformed ruler of a city and the first leader of uh, reformed churches. How did Driscoll act any differently than Calvin? If you're going to accept Calvinist theology going from the ground up, from the Old Testament to the New, and if you're going to hold to things like the regulative principle of worship, and you're going to hold to stuff like that, which, again, not certain how much Mark Driscoll actually believed in the regulative principle of worship, but if you're going to do all this stuff, and you see the fruit of it is a tightly controlled and sometimes vicious society, then you should expect the young, restless, reformed guys to do something like that occasionally. 
Why was anybody surprised? Why did they freak out? This is, this is the uh, societal vision for a whole lot of reformed people. Case in point, the fact that you have reconstructionists um, going out there saying that like, well, in my civil society, we're going to have a repeat of the civil laws of the Bible, execution for adultery. Now that one I'm not too opposed to. But at the end of the day, this, there's dominionism. There's Christian reconstructionism. There is um, all sorts of movements out there, almost all of them universally ca uh, Calvinist in their persuasions that are doing this stuff. And Mark Driscoll presents something of a mild, very mild version of it compared to how John Calvin ran Geneva. So if you're, if you're going to just go after one pastor because he's mean and he fires people and he overworks them, he's not fair to his employees or whatever the case, I would agree with you that that's bad. But why don't you actually look at how that happened? Why don't you look at the theological perspectives that kind of gave birth to that? Now, am I saying every Presbyterian minister and every single uh, Reformed pastor out there is some jerk that wants to take away all of my freedoms out there and try to ban Catholicism and stuff? No. I, again, this is people out there who are trying to seriously emulate a lot of the conditions in Geneva. And I have Calvinist friends who more or less, I mean, they're pastors too, who more or less said, yeah, you know what, in a perfect society, I'd want something a little bit closer to Geneva. They were honest with me. And they're like, yeah, but you do need to do it more gently. And they think, they believe that Calvin ruled Geneva in a specific circumstance uh, that they believe more or less justified a lot of this stuff. For instance, uh, you might hear somebody say that um, children had to be named after Old Testament characters. Um, and a, there was one time a guy, he served uh, some prison time for insisting that his kid be named Claude when the minister wanted to name the kid Abraham. They sent him to prison for that. Many Calvinists out there would argue that, well, during that time, naming your kid Claude was generally part of a venerative act for the cult of St. Claude, a Roman Catholic saint. So it wasn't just... I don't get to name my kid what I want. It was, if I name my kid this, I am doing it as an act of worship or hyperdulia to St. Claude. And that's why I want my kid named that. So they were like, look, for a time, Geneva needed these extensive restrictions and everything in order to, well, set up a society and transition them to being a Protestant city. I would disagree with that, but okay, maybe we can say the same thing for Mark Driscoll being more or less given this immense pressure to be a public figure and run a church and preach like six times on a Sunday and write books and do travels and speaking conferences. And he's got to do all of this while for some reason being the guy doing having his hand in HR in human resources is that fair to the guy no is he going to do it right no do you know how i know cuz he's not a human resources guy a pastor should not be the executive but they put him in that position and before anybody says oh no this is mark driscoll being a power hungry tyrant shut up he was not the only person at that church that was making bad decisions all right Mars Hill was set up by the megachurch movement. They sent him to do this in Seattle. They sent him to make this happen from a megachurch perspective, from a church growth perspective. They wanted that. And then he was surrounded by people that were intended to support that. He had people out there at Mars Hill that were doing a lot of these firings, a lot of these cruel things that didn't get their own giant blog posts and podcasts written about them to constantly attack them for 11 or 12 episodes. Am I going to disagree with Mark's behavior? Sure. But was he put in a position where none of us would do any better? Abso-frickin-lutely. 
before you go thumbing your nose at Mark Driscoll for how he ran his church, how he wrote his books, for the language that he used, you really got to ask yourself, if you were in his position with the immense extreme amount of pressure on that one man, would you have done any better? While coming from a historical lineage of a lot of this kind of behavior where sometimes this just breaks out, and being in a position where that is what you teach and preach to yourself. Whenever a pastor writes a sermon, he is being preached to first. Whenever you do this, every single time I've ever written a sermon, I would have to read it out loud and let it hit and impact me first. So here, Driscoll, with all the sermons that, that he has beating up men, is kind of beating himself up at the same time. In all of these things where it's all law and no gospel, he's kind of doing that to himself. Over and over and over again. And everybody out there... Um, making these podcasts, writing these blog posts and everything, and saying he was disqualified, 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 has not even the single shred of grace or humility to say, oh my goodness, how would anything else have happened? At all. So was he a false alpha? Absolutely. But is he somebody that we need to knee-jerk react to by condemning him? As though we are some great holy people. I don't think so. Case in point, the problem that I have with the podcast series on the rise and fall of Mars Hill. I listened to every single episode full of belly aching from these people. Constantly harping on Mark. And they'll swear up and down. Well, this isn't a podcast about Mark Driscoll. No, it was. Shut up. That's all they ever talked about. That's the only bad guy in their stories. They never really talk about any of his good stuff that he did. Because, I mean, it's true. A thousand attaboys are screwed up by one F.U. That's, that's just the truth. But Mark Driscoll was the topic of the rise and fall of Mars Hill. Why? They brought up something, and this is in 2021 that all this was going down, this whole podcast series was coming out, very professionally made, and whenever Mark Driscoll did something bad or said something mean or just a little too lewd, they'd play like spooky music behind it, and they had these emotional like jazz hip-hop openings and stuff to get you in the mood for like, all right, I'm about to, I'm about to listen to some failure porn. Why do that? Seven years after the, the fall of Mars Hill, when this topic has already been talked to death. Well, first off, because there is a psychotic contingency of people that hate Mark Driscoll that I, I would wager are massive hypocrites. People that feel good about their own walk with God or their own spirituality or their own moral standing solely for the fact that they are not Mark Driscoll. And they're willing to harp on him incessantly just because it makes them feel good about themselves. I remember when all this stuff was going down, about a year, two years, two years, like 2013 and 2014, all the way up to the point where Mars Hill just finally collapsed in a single day. There were people that would speak to me all the time about wanting this dude brought down, wanting him fired, wanting to see justice brought to him for all the people that he hurt, etc., 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 etc. Constantly. It was something they would talk about every single week. That was their hobby horse, was trying to destroy Mark Driscoll for some reason to the point of an insane obsession. These were, these were vipers coming after the man. And then they stopped. It briefly came back when Driscoll set up his church in Arizona and, and tried to be the, the warm and cuddly version of Mark Driscoll that he is now. But, um, yeah, for a while it stopped. 
And now, seven years later, they start bringing it up again. Why? Well, first off, the people that run Christianity today are um, very liberal. They, they love to talk about CRT. They love to talk about homosexual acceptance. They love articles written by female pastors. And Driscoll was an unabashed conservative, theologically speaking. And he said things that made them uncomfortable. So, if you... If you ever looked at the Twitter accounts and the tweets about this whole series and stuff, a lot of the replies are people saying, Ooh, do this pastor next. Ooh, gosh, I love it when you savaged him in that part. When you brought up with the bad things that he did. There's blood in the water. And I think that's the intent. They want to bring cancel culture to the body of Christ and start just rampantly canceling pastors and ministers they don't like this is part of a cultural cleanup operation where nobody is safe and if you ever said anything bad you're destroyed at the end of the day driscoll was like patient zero for that that's what this is in their their prescriptions and the the kind of over dramatic way that they did it i mean well the rise and fall of mars hill as a podcast is one giant um instance of the pot calling the kettle black i loved hearing it by the way because if if you're going to listen to that much of pots calling the kettle black then you learn a lot about pots and kettles you really do you learn a lot about these people like instead of saying here is where mark driscoll sinned according to holy scripture they said look at how bad this was and you know what that look at how many people have had to just go through the hard process of deconstructing their faith deconstructing their faith oh yeah it doesn't it doesn't necessarily mean apostasy but you really need to just go through the hard process of deconstructing everything oh my gosh but but no, you could just see where like okay here's where bearing false witness applies to the plagiarism stuff here's where Uh, Let your gentleness be known to all. It should have applied to him, and he really could have cleaned up his act. Oh, no, no, no. It's got to be deconstruction. You really got to, like, reprogram yourself so that you stop being a conservative Christian. You just, you don't understand it. He said mean things about women, that they have to do stuff in marriage, and it doesn't fit in with my consent wheel that I got from my Duluth model that talks about abusers. So when you say that, it makes people feel bad. And when people feel bad, that's how you know somebody's disqualified to be a pastor. He was the, he was the jerk. That's the perspective of Christianity today. At least according to their podcast. And, and, like, let's listen to some sad songs at the end of every episode. Let's have transgender-approving people out here producing it. Let's have uh, people that represent a movement that is responsible for the deaths of thousands of churches through the slow decline of liberal Christianity point the finger at one guy for screwing up his megachurch. Goodness gracious. I can't stand it. It's so irritating. And again, I appreciate having listened to all of this stuff. But at the end of the day, they did not have a single voice from the conservative Christians during the heyday of Mars Hill that were screaming from the rooftops, here's what he's doing wrong according to the scriptures. Here's what he ought to be counseled by authority figures that he looks up to and is accountable for for what he is saying or doing i mean even like people might point at me and say well not you're being a hypocrite because you don't have an authority structure over what you're doing right here for the very lutheran project and well listen pal i do i am accountable to people i talk to them am i going to tell you all the details about it no given the nature of this kind of ministry i'm not but i do And yeah, there are times that I've said really stupid things and got dinged for it or got flat out punished. So before you go saying to me that I'm a hypocrite here, 
I honestly want to see how any of the people who are coming after Mark Driscoll examined their own character, their own, their own life circumstances, and how many of them put themselves in Mark's shoes before going off and being holier than him. Again, I don't like the guy. But we do need to be a little honest with ourselves here. And at any rate, a lot of the responses to Mark Driscoll amount to, wow, he's a bad person and that makes me a good person. I feel great. That's a, that's a lot of the responses, at least from the heart of people's hearts, talking about all this stuff. And they will never admit that they are doing a whole lot of the same things. Christianity Today is an evangelical publication, broadly evangelical. What do evangelicals do? They like big mega churches. They like doing exactly what Mark Driscoll did. They like their cults of personality. And in the midst of all of that stuff, they find themselves doing the same exact thing as the Roman Catholic Church. Let's all congregate around a single authority and maybe a magisterium underneath him that we answer to that guy. We look up to that guy. We make that our focus. Let's give him authority. Or maybe we set up a business structure. And then we, we call that good. We call that, uh, well, it's different when we're Protestants because I think we said sola fide or something. No, we're, we're engaged in the same sin. And we all still need to ask Christ for forgiveness we, we need to ask God for forgiveness by the blood of Jesus Christ. Mars Hill was a vindication of the perspective that uh, Protestants broke away from the Catholic Church. They wanted to leave one pope so that they could set up their own popes. I, I, I have a hard time answering Roman Catholics who, may, who bring that charge against me. Yeah, occasionally we're all guilty of that. But yeah, that's it. I think that's about everything I could earnestly say about Driscoll. He is the end boss, the final boss of False Alphas. He is patient zero, the biggest swinging head out there saying all the stuff that you would expect from a False Alpha, especially with a cartoonish vision of masculinity it says like, darn right, I'm chivalrous towards women. You got a problem with that, son? <laughs> Come on, dude. <sighs> anyway. More to come. I just couldn't resist finally bringing this up because it was obviously a big cultural moment last year when Driscoll's, the podcast about him, was brought into the forefront. But, if you have any suggestions for false alphas in the future, I am all ears. Please go ahead and shoot an email over to very underscore Lutheran at tutanota.com. Until then, God bless you all. Amen and amen.